Hello and welcome again to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nicoletti, and with me is Jared Riddick, the archivist from Book of Mormon Central. Happy to be here. Master of the Book of Mormon Central Archives or Lord. Would you rather have Master or Lord? Let's, let's go with Lord. Lord. Master has negative connotations to it. <laughs> so uh, this week we're going to be talking about another one of our one-offs again. This, uh, this is the analysis of the Book of Mormon, Suggestions to the Reader by Elder B.H. Roberts. And this uh, was published in 1888 by the Millennial Star Office in Liverpool, England. So this is an interesting, uh, kind of a curious piece. Uh, what what are some of the, first off, let's get into the history of, of where this came from and why do we have it? Well, Elder Roberts, I believe, had just finished up a series of 10 articles for The Contributor, which was a periodical uh, in Utah at the time, about the Book of Mormon. Those lectures would later become uh, the first volume of A New Witness to God. Um, and so he's got the Book of Mormon in mind. He's got early church history in mind. He's written other publications since then. He's got other ones in the works, but this is, I think, is an indication of Elder Roberts's serious study of the Book of Mormon, and him trying to condense what he was feeling into a short pamphlet for a Brit for a British audience, for essentially a missionary audience. And so it's it's not exhaustive, but it's a really interesting early look at what Roberts thought, and maybe some indications of subjects he would later go on to study and write on. Well, history is an interesting thing because we get to look at we get to learn about history through what people wrote to to address the, his, the the needs of the time. And when I look at this, I see what essentially is a primer mm -hmm. on on how to read the Book of Mormon. If you don't know what it is, this is how you should understand the Book of Mormon to be. In fact, I almost when I first read it, my my original thought was this would be a really cool pamphlet as a missionary to leave with someone who wants to know more about the Book of Mormon. Like, what, what is this about? I, this sounds yeah. very curious. I almost wanted to try and rewrite it myself as a modern pamphlet because he uses a lot of old scripture references. Uh, old, well, in yeah, old the, language. The, yeah, the old language. And, just see, and he's using a, the different chapter-verse structure for the Book of Mormon. And um, it's really interesting. And I wonder, of course, we know now the Book of Mormon was not as widely used in the 19th and early 20th centuries as it is in the church today. Um, it was an evidence of Joseph's prophetic role, but it wasn't, that was about it. It wasn't studied as extensively. Um, and when you see it cited in the Journal of Discourses or Religious Publications, it's usually just telling a story more than getting a doctrinal application out of it. Hiram's reading to Joseph from the Book of Ether uh, at Carthage was, uh, was the exception, was not the rule. And so I think this is not only for missionaries, it's an introduction to the Book of Mormon, but it's for members. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I find interesting about this pamphlet, if you will, because it's what it was. Yeah, four pages. It was a pamphlet. It's very sh short. Uh, not very. It was short. But there was a part, and I'm trying to find the exact quote, where he basically says that it was a – he uses the, the term verbatim yes. translation. Yeah, verbatim translation – at one of point. Of the small plates. Yeah. With Nephi. And yeah, that, 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 that was curious. An interesting view of the trans of how he viewed the translation itself. And also, I think he's also referring to the fact that this isn't Mormon's abridgment of Nephite history. This is directly from the source. So it's... So he, he's, he's essentially copying what Nephi wrote. Yeah. But it's not a translation. Or is it a translation from this reformed Egyptian? Yeah. It's a, it's just interesting how he stated it as a, a verbatim translation. When I reread it, it too, 
Because it makes me feel like some of the other stuff, because it was, uh, I guess, more of his summary of things. Yeah, and for those listeners who might wonder what we're talking about a little bit, there's kind of two camps on the Book of Mormon translation. One is a uh, a strict translation, a controlled translation. A word for word. Word for word. And then the other one, favored by others, is more of a, a looser translation where Joseph played an active part in the translation, filtering things through through his own experience, his own worldview. And so... There's kind of a debate. Yeah, there, there is not kind of. There is a debate between these two camps about how uh, Joseph received the translation. Both of them still believe in the historicity of the Book of Mormon. It should be emphasized, um, but believe that Joseph may receive the Book of Mormon a different way. Yeah, and but in this case, it almost feels like what he is saying is that Mormon had sections that were verbatim, and then others that he summarized. Like the Book of Mormon itself comes in two different forms. Yeah, like I think he. I believe he uses. Does he use the example of Abinadi? I think he talks about the small plates. Small plates being is, verbatim. Is, what he, is the verbatim, and then the rest of it is more his summary and then a little bit of Moroni at the end. Yeah, a little bit of Moroni at the end. Oh, and it says also, here it is, that Mormon frequently came to passages upon the plates of Nephi, which pleased him so well that he transcribed them upon the plates containing his abridgment verbatim. An example of this will be found beginning on page 163. He's talking about King Benjamin. Right. Um, and he says there's other passages like this throughout Mormon's abridgment. So yeah. he considers the Nephi's st- section, it's just Nephi. Mormon didn't recopy it, it's just Nephi. And then Mormon's got his own abridgment with primary source block quotes right. in between. Right, where he's doing more of the uh, editorializing kind of idea. And just, I'm just thinking about this, this is, this is a primer, but it's also one that inspires good discussion, which is probably what it was meant to do as well, as yeah. readers would reflect upon the nature of the Book of Mormon and the stories therein. Yeah, well, and it, it gives you... If you haven't read the Book of Mormon, this at least gets your mind going on what you're going to encounter as you read through the book, understanding the authorship behind it. And that's also kind of interesting, too, because I know modern, you know, a lot of the know-wise that we've produced at Book of Mormon Central have come to the idea of authorship and analyzing the the yeah. language and stuff. Phylometry, things like that. Exactly. So we have some, if you will, of B.H. Roberts saying, be in tune with the idea that there are multiple people contributing to this, which, again, if you think of how most books are written, it's single author kind of stuff, mm-hmm. whereas this has you know, got a lot of different voices into it. As far as... Uh, you know, the length of it, it is definitely one of the shorter ones that we are doing in our one-off series yes. here. We we have some really solid information in it and some really fun ways that, that he kind of brings this out. But I'm also noticing now that we've got a bit of a theme going on in these things that we've covered the last couple of weeks and that these are all produced or directed towards England. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an interesting theme that we've seen throughout some of these pieces. Yeah, it is. I'm not entirely sure what the significance of that is, but I mean, are you British or is this what you're, you're just doing? Scottish, propaganda? actually. Oh, okay. So we crave independence. <laughs> so anyway, um, this is again, this is B. H. Roberts' primer, if you will, an analysis of the Book of Mormon, suggestions to the readers, how he thinks it would be most advantageous for someone to to read and engage the Book of Mormon. Indeed. Analysis of the Book of Mormon, Suggestions to the Reader by Elder B. H. Roberts. The reader of the Book of Mormon will do well to remember that it is a translation of a record inscribed on gold plates, which was an abridgment made from more extensive records kept by the ancient civilized peoples of America. 
chiefly by the people known in the Book of Mormon as Nephites. The abridgment for the most part is made by one Mormon, a Nephite prophet who was born 311 A.D. and slain by his enemies in the year 400 A.D. The parts which are not his abridgment are the first 157 pages, which brings us to the Words of Mormon on page 158, and from page 563 to the end of the volume, 60 pages. The latter part of the record was made by Moroni, the son of Mormon, who was also the one who hid up the plates containing his father's and his own abridgment in the year 421 A.D., and who, having been raised from the dead, revealed the existence of these plates to Joseph Smith on the 21st of September, 1823. The first 157 pages are a verbatim translation from what are known as the smaller plates of Nephi. We will explain. The first Nephi who left Jerusalem with the small company of colonists led out from that city by his father Lehi in 600 BC and who afterwards became the leader, prophet, and their first king on the American continent who made two sets of plates on which he proposed engraving the history of his people. On the larger of these two sets of plates, he engraved an account of his father's life, travels, prophecies, etc., together with his genealogy, and upon them also he recorded a full history of the wars and contentions of his people, as also their travels, and an account of the cities they founded and colonies they established. These larger plates were preserved in the care of succeeding kings, and in a word, upon them was written a full history of the rise and fall of the nations which existed in America from the landing of this colony from Jerusalem to 400 A.D., a period of nearly 1,000 years. It is quite evident that as these plates were transmitted from king to king, or from one ruling judge of the republic to another, or given into the possession of a prophet, that they each recorded the historical events of his own day and gave to such account his own name. Hence, Mormon found these larger plates of Nephi, the Book of Mosiah, the Book of Alma, the Book of Helaman, etc. Furthermore, it happened that there were colonies from time to time that drifted off into distant parts of the land and became lost for a season to the main body of the people. And there were missionary expeditions formed for the conversion of the Lamanites, and these parties, whether missionary or colonial, generally kept records, and when these colonists or missionary parties were found or returned to the main body of the people, their records were incorporated with the main record being kept by the historian. Hence, there was sometimes a book within a book, and the current of events was interrupted to record the history of these detached portions of the people, or some important missionary expedition. Mormon, when abridging these plates of Nephi, gave to each particular division of his abridgment the name of the book from which he had taken his account of the events recorded. Hence, the book of Mosiah, Alma, Helaman, and third and fourth Nephi in his abridgment. He also, in some instances, at least, followed the subdivision we have alluded to. Hence, we have the record of Zenith within the book of Mosiah, the account of the church founded by the first Alma and the account of the missionary expeditions of the sons of Mosiah to the Lamanites within the Book of Alma. Again, we caution the reader to remember that the Book of Mormon is, for the most part, an abridgment from the larger plates of Nephi, but it is quite evident that Mormon frequently came to passages upon the plates of Nephi, which pleased him so well that he transcribed them upon the plates containing his abridgment verbatim.
An example of this will be found beginning on page 163 in the second line of the ninth paragraph and ending with page 169, the words of King Benjamin to his people. The words of King Benjamin are also renewed on page 170 in the second line of the fourth paragraph and continue to the close of the chapter. There are many such passages throughout Mormon's abridgment. In addition to this, Mormon frequently introduces remarks of his own by way of comment, warning, prophecy, or admonition. And since there is nothing in the text, either quotation marks or a change of type to indicate where these comments, or what we might call annotations, begin or end, they are liable to confuse the reader, a difficulty we hope will be obviated by this caution. So much for Mormon's abridgment. Now to consider the part of the work done by his son Moroni. This is from page 563 to the end of the volume. He closes up the record of his father, Mormon, and then gives us an abridgment of the 24 plates of ether, which were found in North America by the people of Limhi in the 2nd century BC, and then concludes his work with notes on the manner of ordaining priests and teachers, administering the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, baptism, spiritual gifts, together with a sermon and some letters of his father's. In his abridgment of the record of the Jaredites, the peculiarity of mixing up his comments, admonitions, and prophecies with his narrative is even more marked than in the abridgment of Mormon. Therefore, the reader will need to be doubly on his guard. We have already said that the first 157 pages of the Book of Mormon was not part of Mormon's abridgment. Those pages are a verbatim translation of the smaller plates of Nephi, which became connected with Mormon's abridgment in this manner. Mormon had abridged the larger plates of Nephi as far as the reign of King Benjamin, and in searching through the records which had been delivered to him, he found these smaller plates of Nephi. They contained a brief history of events connected with the departure of Lehi and his colony from Jerusalem to their landing in America, and thence down to the reign of this King Benjamin, covering a period of about 400 years. These plates were made by Nephi, that upon them might be engraven an account of the ministry of the servants of God among his people, together with their prophecies and teachings. They contain, in other words, an ecclesiastical history of the Nephites, while the larger plates of Nephi contained a political or secular history of the same people. Mormon was particularly well pleased with the contents of these smaller plates of Nephi, because upon them had been engraven so many prophecies concerning the coming and mission of the Messiah. And instead of condensing their history into an abridgment, he took the plates and attached them to the abridgment of Nephi's larger plates. And this I do for a wise purpose, says Mormon, for thus it whispereth me according to the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. Nephi also, in speaking of these smaller plates, says, The Lord hath commanded me to make these plates for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. What that wise purpose was, we shall see in a moment. By Mormon attaching these smaller plates of Nephi to his own abridgment of Nephi's larger plates, it will be seen there was a double line of history of the Nephites for about 400 years, and the wisdom of this arrangement is seen in the following. When Joseph Smith had translated the first part of Mormon's abridgment, amounting to 116 pages of manuscript, he listened to the importunities of Martin Harris, who was giving him some assistance in the work of translating, and who desired to show that portion of the work to his friends. The result was the manuscript was stolen from him. The records were taken from Joseph, and he lost his power to translate for a season. After a time, however, he was permitted to go on with the work, that it was the design of those into whose hands the manuscript had fallen to wait until he had translated that part again, 
and then, by changing the manuscript in their possession, would bring it forth and claim that he could not translate the same record twice alike, and thus they would seek to overthrow the work of God. But the heavenly messenger commanded Joseph Smith not to translate again the part he had already translated, but instead thereof he should translate the smaller plates of Nephi, and that account should take the place of Mormon's abridgment up to the latter days of the reign of King Benjamin. Thus it is that we have the words of Mormon, beginning on page 158, explaining how the smaller plates of Nephi came into his possession and attached to the plates containing the record he himself was making, and connecting the historical narrative of the smaller plates of Nephi with his own abridgment of Nephi's larger plates. The words of Mormon, interrupting as they do the history of the Nephites, have caused no little confusion in the minds of unthoughtful readers. But after it is understood that they are merely the link connecting the ecclesiastical history engraven on the smaller plates of Nephi to Mormon's abridgment, and that they take the place of the first part of Mormon's record, the difficulty will disappear. One thing I cannot forbear to mention, and that is, in the parts of the Book of Mormon translated from the smaller plates of Nephi, we find none of these comments or annotations mixed up with the record that we have already spoken of as being peculiar to the abridgment made by Mormon. A circumstance, I take it, which proves the Book of Mormon to be consistent with the account given of the original records from which it was translated. There will be found, however, in this translation direct from the small plates of Nephi, as also in Mormon's abridgment, extracts from the old Jewish scriptures, especially from the writings of Isaiah. This is accounted for by the fact that when Lehi's colony left Jerusalem, they took with them copies of the books of Moses and the writings of the prophets and a record of the Jews down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, all of which were engraven on plates of brass. And the Nephite historians transcribed passages from these sacred records into their own writings. One suggestion more I would like to make to the readers of the Book of Mormon, and that is that they read it prayerfully, with a real desire to know if it is of God. If they will peruse it with that desire in their hearts, I am sanguine that the Spirit of God which searches all things, yea, the deep things of God, will bear witness to their understanding that the book is of divine origin, and they will have a witness from God of its truth. Such a promise, in fact, is contained within the book itself. When Moroni, into whose keeping the plates of the Book of Mormon were given, was closing up the sacred record previous to hiding it up to the Lord until the time should come for it to be revealed as a witness for God, he engraved the following passage on the plates as words of counsel to those into whose hands the records should fall. And when ye shall receive these things, i.e. the things written in the Book of Mormon, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost and by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. Here then is a means by which every person in whose hands the Book of Mormon falls may find out for himself, not from human testimony, not from the deductions of logic, but through the power of the Holy Ghost, whether the Book of Mormon is of divine origin or not. This test must be final, either for or against it, to every individual who complies with the conditions enjoined by Moroni. Those conditions are that they into whose hands the record falls shall inquire of God with a sincere heart, with real intent, and having faith in Christ. And to those who so proceed, he promises without equivocation 
that they shall receive a manifestation of its truth by the power of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, if these directions are complied with faithfully and honestly, and the manifestation follows not, then they may know it is not of God. If the manifestation comes, of course the divine origin of the book is confirmed. For the Holy Ghost would not confirm by any manifestation of its power an imposition. Therefore, reader, whoever you may be, undertake the reading of the Book of Mormon with a prayerful heart, and you will find it a new volume of Scripture to you, a treasury of sacred knowledge, able to make you wise unto salvation. Printed by the Millennial Star Office in Liverpool, England. Thank you for listening to Rare Possessions by Book of Mormon Central. Please join us each week for another episode of the Rare Possessions podcast, where we search into the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For more information, visit us at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.